Hello, and thank you for joining us. My name is Eric, aka Form Trends, and I'm joined with my colleague Martin. Hello, hello, everybody. How are things, Eric? Yeah, very well, actually. Very well. Spring is in the air, and uh, I'm really loving it here in London. It's been um, kind of sunny the last few days and warm, so I'm really looking forward to uh, getting outside a bit this weekend. Hopefully, the weather will hold out for that. Um, yeah, I can I can say Munich has not been that nice over the past few days. We had a little bit of a drizzly snow time, so um, you know I have been quite well prepared or I had to I had the capabilities to prepare myself quite a bit for this podcast so um, you know I hope I hope that we can give some good infos out or you know some some good insights and yeah uh, let's crack on all right well first of all um, we should cover the new cars that have been unveiled since we left Geneva which was our last podcast um, and uh, basically, there's there's been a few new additions, um, and it's uh, I think it's it's one of the biggest ones you know that everybody's been talking about, but that wasn't really a great hit I think in the design community is the Tesla Model Y. Agree, and uh, obviously it doesn't come as a surprise that Tesla has not shown uh, the Model Y in Geneva. They've as always have done that on their own little event uh, theme. And it uh, was presented by Elon Musk directly. And it just looks pretty much like a Model 3, a little bit higher, I would say. <laughs> yeah, abs- absolutely. Absolutely. That's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not a bad-looking car, you know, I mean, but it's not going to rewrite any design books. Uh, I, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's not very adventurous, you know, for, for a little, uh, little SUV. But, yeah, very much like the Model 3. And it's overall like uh, demeanor, so therefore very familial. Yeah, I think where where it does lack a little bit, and this is a little bit from my personal taste. If you look into the rear que- uh, three quarter view, it does look a little bit, you know, kind of. I, I don't want to say Chinese, but there's a little bit of there's something missing. Um, from that side i think the model 3 was much better resolved um and you have a little bit of the feeling that either you know they were developed at the same time or you know for whatever reason they didn't have that much time to really put into that model y but especially after they presented that semi truck and also after they presented the roadster i was hoping for something a little bit more you know, more a little bit of like an evolution uh, in that sense, especially when they, you know, finish their their sexy term uh, with the Model Y now. <laughs> but it also it also makes a lot of sense, of course, in terms of the platforming. You know, they are really going into uh, into volume now and uh, changing rather, you know, rather only a few things on a platform and you know keeping it very very close to the Model Three. I think helps them to kind of increase those production values um, but in terms of the design I, I i you know a lot of people consider tesla as quite conservative not daring enough and all these kind of things um, and those people will be once again you know uh, confirmed with a design like that so i think you know the the, the next generation tesla is going to be really interesting and uh, to find out where they where they are moving maybe in the future but this does not give us any indication what's yet to come from tesla or what's the next kind of level this is purely another volume car that that they're doing and from a design perspective i think quite disappointing yeah um you know i they're selling right i mean they are appealing to people that are more interested in the tech than the, the than the design or maybe they just don't want to alienate some people that really are conservative at heart either way um you know it, it is what it is uh i think we've spent enough time on it to be honest i'm not a fanboy a tesla fanboy um and you know the technology is great but it's um you know it's 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 not re- rewriting anything um and it, you know maybe that's what it's supposed to do but uh um, you know um yeah, it kind of leaves me lukewarm. I, I think, you know, with the technology that's on hand, I think there's really capabilities to do something a bit more, um, you know, out there or, you know, not even out there, but yeah. adventurous, perhaps a bit more, um, you know, finding your own identity. I mean, this thing could look like anything. I mean, if you take the badge off, it's not really a Tesla, is it? Uh, anyway. I agree. I agree. All, All right. right. 
it's, it's, it's not what, you know, I believe the brand's values are. That's all. Um, but anyway, you know, moving on, <laughs> I think the, the next car um, that has been very interesting uh, but is also not particularly to my liking is the uh, the Porsche Cayenne Coupe. Um, and uh, everybody's building these things. You know, it's horrible. Uh, Absolutely. Horrible. I mean, the thing about that car is it, it, it needs to be in that space. It's like the buyers that are buying that vehicle are also buying, you know, the, uh, the Q8, um, you know, the X6 and the GLE Coupe from Mercedes-Benz, which I think is my personal favorite of that, of that lot. Uh, the Q8 is actually very nice as well, but they, they you know, the, it's not my type of car. So, you know, I don't think it's poorly done. Um, I'm, you know, a lot of people have been like, well, it is great. I mean, if you talk specifically to the younger generation, um, there's quite a lot of people that grew up with SUVs and they think that's the default car. Uh, for me, you know, I had like Testarossa or Porsche 959 on the wall. That to me is a car. Um, so it, it's, it's very different, um, in terms of what it is that we like, you know, and, and, um, so, you know, for the, for the Cayenne, you know, I'm not a fan. I take it. You're not either. No, I'd like, the, you know, this is, this is the thing for me. Maybe I'm just a little bit old school with that. And, you know, uh, I'll, I'll let other people judge that, but like I mentioned this last time or in the, in the Geneva podcast. And I had a little bit of my rant about Aston and, you know, my, the, the quintessential thing was it's like, you know, Aston is moving away from being this kind of cool James Bond style company to become you know, just a, another sports car company. And I have a very similar feeling with, uh, with Porsche. You know, I think I understand why they do these kind of coupes. Um, and I understand why they do it from the market perspective. You know, that's not, I, I don't want to challenge that from a design perspective. What this really annoys me. It's, it's just not well done. I mean, if you look into those kind of pictures in, in particular, A, the front is terrible. I mean, you know, what happens up there? Grill. Hey, come on, guys. You can do that much better. You know, um, this, this is, this is, this is a joke. And from the rear perspective, when that mirror, uh, that, uh, excuse me, that wing comes out, this looks like a freaking Hot Wheels car. I mean, this this is this is something that I think you know again, like the Tesla maybe was quite rushed um, after the success of like a you know Mercedes GLE or an X7 BMW, where they say oh you know we have to jump onto that, uh, but it's it, it's just not well thought through, and I think you can see that nowadays in in, in terms of in terms of design in particular. Uh, especially when I compare it to an Audi Q8 that you just mentioned. You know, the Audi Q8 looks much better than this. Uh, we see it, the, especially the Q8, quite regularly here in Munich. You know, and every time I see it, depending a little bit on the color, I saw one in an ugly brown the other day, which was terrible. But, um, you know, when you see them in a silver or like a blue or something like that, the Audi Q8 looks actually really good. Um, and if I would have the choice, I would uh, choose the A8, you know, uh, sorry, the Q8, um, you know, 10 times over that Porsche. Um, for me, you know, if you want to have a Porsche, buy a 911. If you want to have a family car, don't buy a Cayenne, buy something different. I, I don't know. It's just, you know, uh, it, it just doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But, uh, you know, I understand why it's there, but I don't think it's well executed. Yeah. Well, I mean, as you, as you mentioned, you know, the whole reason that Porsche is still alive is because of the Cayenne and you know, so it does, you know, sales are important. And the fact that people are buying these things and, you know, they're considering them as a, as their family car just means that the company's taking a turn. Like, unfortunately, you know, I, I like you, would have liked to just see a 911, but the company wouldn't be around today if that was the case. So it seems like we've started off on a kind of sour note. <laughs> Both of these new cars that have been unveiled recently, we don't like, um, you know, for various reasons, but um, mostly because um, we don't like that typology. Now, you know, it might be a, a personal thing as well, um, but uh, I think we should move on into something that's a, perhaps a bit more positive <laughs> um, in terms of uh, what's been shown in recent times. And that uh, brings us to uh, number three, which was the Ferrari P80C. And, and normally we always talk about production cars, but this is one, it's a Ferrari. So, you know, we got to talk about it. Right. But also it's, um, it's a very, you know, limited 
one, I mean, it's limited. It's like there's one of them, you know, that's it. And so it brings us back to something that we discussed in a very early podcast, which was these one-offs. And that is very much the direction that these super high-end companies are going. Um, and, you know, we got another one to discuss after that. But um, this, like, bespoke, um, in this case, special projects uh, vehicle for a, uh, a man known only as TK in Hong Kong. Um, and, you know... It's a, it's a racing car. And, and in the end, you know, we don't really have to like it because only he does. <laughs> so what's your thoughts on that? Um, I like it. Ah. Um, <laughs> what, I, what, I, what I don't like is the, the rear wing. Um, and Flavio Manzoni, I think, said in an interview uh, that was released. Um, I think you released that actually. I watched yeah, it on your you side. can find it on Formtrain. Exactly. Yeah, that's um, right. And he said you can you can actually <laughs> remove the wing uh, to make like the, the the pure aesthetics out of the car. Um, mm. And when I imagine that, yes, uh, then I would very very much like that car. Um, it's, <laughs> yeah, I remember he said it was for the. For the concorso d'eleganza, when you take the car. Yeah, exactly, yes, yes. exactly, <laughs> exactly. And yeah, I think you know, there's some bits and pieces that I don't necessarily like. I think a little bit of the the, the front, you know, is is very racy. Of course, that's what the car is made for. I think if they would make a production version of something like that on a on a you know selling it to more people than just one person, uh, they would solve that probably a bit differently. But. Um, I mean, you know, we 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 both know Flavio Manzoni a little bit, and it's it's the kind of perfect car also for you know for him or from him. You know, it's it's very sensual. You know, he likes to play with surfaces. He's very much into you know uh, working a lot with the surface surfaces, and this is this is an epitome of that. Um, I think very very much so, and I, I like it. I like the direction that Ferrari is going into. Uh, you know, as long-term listeners know, I'm a little bit more of a of a simple kind of shape, and you know, playing with surfaces kind of kind of type uh, of guy, and I like that. That's pretty cool. It has you know massive wheels on it as well, so that's pretty cool as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it it has something that is you know um, something that is just cool. You know that 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 would be a car, especially there's just one picture where it just stands in the pit lane. That would be a car where it's like, yeah, if I would be like, you know, nine, ten years old, I would probably put that on my wall. Yes, yes, probably. I mean, you know, talking about sensual surfaces, it's like the renderings that are by Stefano Di uh, Simone um, are are absolutely amazing of that car. Um, it, but you know, the production or production, the the actual creation, um, you know, it does kind of, you know, stay on the same lines, I suppose. But then, you know, you've got all of these carbon fiber addendum and like this huge wing and you know it's like all of these race car bits that i guess are cool you know but it just i don't know it just detracts from the purity of the form i think a bit um and a bit too much especially you know when you look into the the rear diffuser and what's going on over there it's like wow that thing is super complex and super technical but again it's kind of like you know kids like love the transformers and stuff right i mean that's kind of like what this is doing it's like you know again it's like a, a, a nice sensual surface um really nice volumes and pure volumes in some in some areas um that are mixed it's almost like there's some like there's two pieces to that car you know there's the the undercarriage the hard like you know technical bits that are kind of protruding through this sensual form over it and um it's really yeah, it's it's interesting, um, you know. And again, it's it doesn't really matter what we think because this guy that commissioned it is is all about that. And but you know, at the same time, I do see bits of you know the three thirty P three P four. I mean, you know, the two fifty LM. There's little bits of that, um, which is what you know initially, intentionally he commissioned. So that's you know the brief that they were working towards and um yeah i mean you know it's not it's not the first special project it's not it won't be the last if anything we're going to see a whole lot more of them um and no one knows how much this car costs but hey um this is one hell of a business model who cares how much it costs if you can if you know if you, if you have the money man go for it like you know uh, 
bless you, man. If you if you can go just a Ferrari, and you know, uh, obviously they they will not do that for everyone. So you can have as much money as you want to, but I think you need to have a certain amount of Ferraris or you know special yes. edition Ferraris and stuff like that. But man, if you can afford it, you know, why not? Go ahead. Yep, yep. No, you don't definitely need to own a few Ferraris and be a very faithful customer um, in order to get your hands on something bespoke from the brand, which is which is great, you know. Um, so uh, moving moving on into the, the next, and I think the final car that we'll cover that's um, that's been revealed since um, well that we've seen revealed since uh, since uh, Geneva, and that would have been the DBS, uh, the DBS GT Zagato, uh, which was basically conceived to celebrate the um, the. Uh, collaboration between um zagato and the brand and i think that we were talking about this um why there is only 19 of them but it's it's interesting that they decided to offer this car as part of a package which is bringing the original kind of db4 gt zagato back to life as well and it's part of this um dbz centenary Mm. package and that's really cool i think i love that db4 gt um and I think this this thing alone is worth eight point three million euros. That is, uh, in terms of because they come as a package, one has to say. So you you cannot just pay either or. You know, you you pay for both or you get yeah. nothing. Um, about that, you know, obviously that came about like you know, Zagato turns a hundred years this year. Um, so it's it, it's more like an anniversary present, I think, uh, for them as well. I don't yes. like the DBS. I think that's my problem uh, about the whole thing. And the renderings, we've only seen renderings so far. I think this is what we have to mention here um, is, is is the fundamental thing about this. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't change the front uh, about it. It still looks like a freaking whale shark and it wants to eat you. Um, we all know that Zagato will bring some cool flavor, you know, and flair into this whole thing. Um, but... To be honest, give me that DB4 GT any day. Yeah, that's 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 the car that I would go for. That one. That's the kind of you know, <laughs> Aston Martin that uh, that I think is, is 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 still the kind of top level alongside the DB5. Um, I don't I don't know. DBS uh, not a great car for me personally, as you know, you obviously all know. And I don't think Zagato will save it. Uh, to be honest, you know, um, maybe they should have taken another one. So. Uh, I think I think it's I think it's great. Like, like you mentioned, it's only we've only seen renderings so far. So of course, the renderings would have been exaggerated. The wheel size, you know, but that that dash to axle is um, incredible on that car. So if they can come anywhere close to that, I mean, that is a premium proportion if I've ever seen one. Um, obviously, the you know the purity of the DB4. Um, you know, the GT Zagato, and that was their cold spot. I mean, that was Zagato's heyday uh, in the 60s. You know, that was when, you know, they were just, I mean, all Italian design houses were just knocking it out of the park at that during that period. Zagato w- was one of them. Mm. Um, and uh, Ercole Spada, uh, who actually recently was uh, speaking in, um, in, in Torino, Torino, if I'm not mistaken, because he uh, was there to celebrate Zagato's um, centenary, as you mentioned, mm. uh, the brand's you know, anniversary and turning 100 years old this year. And, you know, again, the, the new DBS GT, I mean, Zagato's you know, uh, got a, a new design director who's always, uh, uh, well, new. I mean, he's been there for a very long time, but Zagato's design director, Noihiko Harada, is uh, extremely uh, eccentric. Like yeah. you know, um, he's a really cool guy. But um, you know, some of this work that he does has a very Japanese flavor, and it's not really like shown too much in this car. But I do like certain bits. And again, you know, it's really important to say we're looking at a rendering of this pu- future vehicle. So there isn't all that much to go on, but. I like, you know, what Zagato's done with the rear end of that car, in particular the taillights and things. Um, in the past, where Zagato's been involved, it's been some really, really cool stuff. They had uh, a show here in uh, Hyde Park for Aston Martin's um, centenary celebration a few years ago, um, which, uh, you know, an article also on my website about that, which was super um, great. It was a, a fantastic event. There was a whole lot of cars, and... Um, 
and yeah, I mean, I think Zagato does a good job for Aston Martin. I also like where Aston Martin is going. I mean, I know that, you know, for you, it's not a 007 car and therefore you're not like, you know, all that um, enthusiastic about it. I am quite enthusiastic. I think it's, you know, um, in terms of moving the car into this really luxury slash sport oriented um, direction is, uh, is super, super cool. Um, but yeah, I think we should move on into our main topic and this is actually a good segue unless you have something to add. Yeah. Um, just, just one yeah, more thing. Just on. one more thing. Aston yes. Martin, if anybody, if anybody of Aston Martin is looking for that for 8 million, can I, can I please change that, you know, weird DBS thing and get a DB10? Thank you. That would be nice. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> not that I can afford it. Yeah, that, that, that's the. That's you're the also thing. talking euros. It's a bit. It's a bit cheaper in the pound side. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's six million pounds. Six million pounds, obviously, uh, absolute bargain. Yeah, yes, so absolute uh, bargain. you know, let's let's right. absolute bargain. So yeah. Let's get it going. But let's I think, talk about. I think this topic. is a very very good segue now into um, Brexit. I mean, we're talking currencies. You're talking euro. I'm talking pounds because this is where I live. And um, there's also a huge issue right now, um, which is uh, Brexit. And, you know, we don't, we're not a political show. We're not going to talk politics too much. But we are going to talk about how Brexit is affecting the automotive design climate. Um, and, you know, in particular, the studios and the automakers that are here in the UK and what it kind of represents for our main job and, uh, you know, finding people to come into these studios, work in these studios from a contracting perspective, also from a permanent perspective. Um, and yeah, let's just, let's just jump right in. Yeah. And, uh, to, to start things off with, I think what we should do, because, you know, things change very quickly at the moment. Uh, it's the 27th of March, 2019. It's, uh, quarter past six, uh, GMT, uh, which is Greenwich Mean Time. So we're recording this at this moment now. So if something happens in the next hour or so, do not blame us, uh, for any kind of big changes. Uh, we don't expect it, of course, but, uh, just to kind of you know put this out there because so many things have changed over the past few days. Over the last uh, yeah on, couple of days uh, yeah on 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 this topic, but I think in general this is um, the reason why we wanted to talk about this. I think to show um, to a certain kind of degree also how volatile but also how stable the car design industry can be and uh, at the same time also is. Yeah, uh, this I think from our perspective, what we will try to do is we will be as little political as possible. Yeah, so we don't want to take any stance here for you know why the Brexit is good, why Brexit is bad, or whatsoever. Um, I think you know we're all old enough to have our own opinion about that, and if you really want to know in detail what we think, send us a message. But it's more about analyzing what does this mean. Of course, there will come in some of the opinions that we have into that, into that kind of analysis. Um, but we will try to make it as neutral as possible. So, um, you know, if, if you are on either position, please do not hold us again, you know, hold it, hold it against us. We are, uh, we try to be as, as neutral and, uh, and objective as possible um, on this topic, because it is a little bit of a, of a hot, uh, a hot piece of cake. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, I think, you know, you can tell from my accent which side I'm kind of uh, leaning towards. But again, uh, you know, we're not going to, uh, I'm not going to let that sway um, my, uh, my, my, my discourse here. Because basically what we want to discuss is how this is affecting people. Um, and I, I mean, I'm on the phone with people, you know, trying to get them into companies that we're working with here as well as in the U.S., and in Europe, and you know the issue that is con constantly arising when I mention some roles that are happening here in the UK um, is, you know, the the uncertainty um, about this entire like Brexit situation. I mean, I had somebody write me the other day being like, "Hey, you know, I, I don't have a work visa," and um, you know, it's it, 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 he was a German national, and you don't need one yet. <laughs> you know, I mean, in 2020, December 2020 is when it's supposedly uh, going to actually kick in. But for the moment, um, we're okay. Um, you know, and but I think. What, what we want to talk about is kind of a bigger overview and that, um, you know, when companies are looking 
to hire in people. Um, you know, some are, you know, even some HR departments aren't even that clued in as to what it is that is really happening. No one's really knows what is happening. Um, and, and it's really like, uh, that's, that's the, the main issue here. But I, I think if we just look at it from a, an automotive, like, and, and a design centric, you know, in terms of hiring and candidates and, and, uh, forming, um, teams and, you know, people to work within teams, there isn't, you know, I mean, we're seeing a lot of things happening within the manufacturing side of things. So Nissan's canceled a couple of programs over in Sunderland, which is definitely going to impact that part of the UK without a doubt. Um, you know, there's been a lot of changes over at JLR. There's been, you know, people are talking about, um, you know, Tata selling off Jaguar. I mean, there's so much stuff happening um, right now due to what is happening in the political climate that we're in. Um, but at the same time, when you look at other design studios, there's still a lot of work. There's still a lot of things that are taking place and people are moving around. And I'm not saying it's necessarily business as usual, but you definitely need to uh, take into account that um, London is a massively influential place to be. Um, and when you're designing whether you're in the fashion industry or the film industry or the tech industry or in the car industry, when you're working in these types of environments where, you know, you really need that input um, because there's a lot, it's a huge car market, the UK, right? Second only to Germany. And so it's, it's, uh, it's really important to get that feedback from, and, and to have designers really infusing their, uh, their products with um, things that, people want and you know i mean i think the whole reason why brexit kicked off in the first place was because the the brexiters wanted um wanted to see stop so many people coming in because it is a, a great place to to be and to live and um you know but at the same time they didn't want people to come in and to uh and to uh you know take away their resources as it were that's not the case now um but again, like I'm saying, people want to come here because it is very, very influential and it can inspire a lot of people. You know, let's not forget the, the Nissan Juke, the Nissan Qashqai, the Qashqai, the runaway C-segment hit that is the default car across Europe was conceived in Nissan's Design Europe, Nissan's London-based studio. So it's it's really, really important to get that creative input here. Exactly. And that's not going anywhere. Exactly. And I think what we have to say as well in terms of Brexit, because design is um, an intellectual good or kind of gift or whatever you want to call it, these kind of, uh, you know, what, 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 what kind of affects manufacturing would, of course, be certain kind of extra taxes or customs, you know, tolls, all these kind of things. In the first kind of instances, this would obviously have no effect on the design world and in, in particular over the car design world. Yeah. I think this is the positive news, which keeps the whole thing a little bit more stable. Of course, if you have to order certain kind of things from, from abroad, that might make it a, a little bit more expensive. But in general, the effect, uh, the financial effect on the car industry, uh, or on the car design industry, excuse me, will not be as big as maybe for other parts. Now, however, and this is always the, and I think this is what global car design has always been capable of doing. Um, this will, of course, have an effect on the understanding of design yeah because if if brexit would really happen in let's say a, a hard brexit yeah and there's a, a, a transition period would be stopped almost with immediate effect um, you will have a very very small theoretically amount of people within the uk within the uh, within the european union system of course the pool of people working in the area will only be marginally be smaller yeah, and I think this is at first the biggest impact that we all will feel in the UK side. Yeah, if Brexit happens, uh, and if a Brexit would happen on like a, a hard Brexit, if we have a transition period, this effect would come a little bit later, but it would necessarily, uh, of course, come, which pretty much means, you know, the 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 quest for talent, the quest for 
you know, support and skill will rise exponentially. Uh, exponentially, and in the UK, I think in in the European Union, because you know you can you can you can get people from all over the continent, pretty much. It's not going to have that uh, that much of an effect, maybe in specific areas, but because obviously you have a smaller amount of people available, um, the good thing you could say potentially what's going to happen for the for the employees or for the contractors is that you know um, wages can rise, hourly rates can rise, but at the same time. You know, you're asking the fact how, how sustainable can this be? So the long-term effect might be that companies understand they might have to reduce their design staff uh, because it's just not that many people available anymore. Now, Eric, you and I both know that within the, the educational system in the UK, you know, Coventry has grown exponentially over the past few years. So they could maybe help out with that kind of side a little bit. But I think, you know, to grab the, the culture and the, the intercultural exchange, um, this would for me I'd be the, the, the biggest impact in a very short amount of time. I mean, just imagine like, you know, look at all the people that are now working at JLR, at Aston Martin, at uh, McLaren, at, uh, you know, Geely, Lotus, you know, Dyson, wherever you want to. They come from all over Europe. They come from all over the world. And if you take that away, you know, it also takes away a perspective of what is British nowadays. Yeah. I mean, you know, best example would be, uh, just for, you know, to, to, just to put that out there, someone like Toby Zuman, chief exterior designer of Aston Martin, is a German guy. You know, what happens if it wouldn't be that easy for him to come to the UK anymore and get a perspective on what Britishness means to an outsider, for example, um, in those particular cars as, as Aston Martins are. And I think this, this is, this is an, an intellectual, from an intellectual side, um, a very big risk, yeah. Because if you look into the, the the German companies in particular, I mean, look at BMW. Adrian van Hoydong is a a Dutch national who's running it. Uh, you know, we have Amco Lennart who works in at Ford in in, in Germany. Uh, from a, from a similar background, we had Anders Warming, head of Borgwarden Mini. Um, you know, who's a, a Danish national. So all these companies thrive through this kind of international, you know, appeal that they bring in, that the kind of people that they bring in. Uh, same goes for China, of course, um, for that degree. So if that would be a bit of a problem, then, you know, can, can they sustain the same quality or can they even, you know, improve their quality? And this is kind of the big question for me about Brexit um, in terms of just car design as the intellectual part. Yeah, I mean, all, all valid points. You know, I, obviously, you know, we've seen quite a lot of design directors coming in um, from different nationalities than the car companies that they are working for represent. Um, but I, I think, you know, those people will always exist. It's just a question of, you know, can you get in some younger designers um, that are, you know, not even younger, but like senior designers, but, you know, people that aren't quite at that level. Because, there will always be, you know, people that are willing to sponsor visas and get people over. And it's just going to make things a whole lot more difficult. And, um, you know, I think, you know, it's it's it, without an open border, it's going to basically be kind of like, you know, the U.S. situation, um, which I'm also dealing with as well uh, when I'm working with Europeans or U.K. nationals and, uh, you know, trying to get them over there without – you know, uh, valid visa or work permit, or, you know, it's, you're, you're unable to move about freely. And that's just, that's the nature of the world. You know, people can't up and move. Um, but what does that mean? You know, then it just makes hiring uh, a very qualified candidate from overseas or, you know, across borders that much harder. Um, and sometimes, you know, they're not willing to, 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 you know, the hiring managers aren't willing to really, um, not only on the expenditure side, but on the time side as well, because all these things take time, right, to get mm -hmm. people into the studio. And so they'll look for someone that is local, perhaps, and then perhaps, you know, their quality level might suffer. Um, certainly, the level of diversity that's available within the studio that is important in a design uh, as part of a design team, I think, um, would suffer. So it's there's lots of things that are playing around right now. And, uh, you know, again, like we said in the beginning, like we don't even, this is a developing story, you know, 
uh, more news tonight at five. It's like there's so much stuff going on uh, that is, and it's changing like the weather over here. Because um, if anyone's never been to the UK, it's not always raining. And it changes the weather changes super rapidly because we're this little island, and you know the cloud cover comes and goes super quickly. Um, yeah, but anyway, that basically is just right now we're under a cloud. Uh, we don't know what is going to happen. Um, we're all trying. You know, hoping for the best and, and hoping that, you know, there can be a deal or there can be no Brexit or whatever. But uh, it, from the from the from the design side of things, it's still at the moment, you know, business as usual. All of those companies that you mentioned, you know, there might there there there's some of them that are taking a little bit of a of a pause you know, to reflect, to see, you know, do we have the right numbers? Do we need some other people? If, if so, like, you know, so there's a bit of a halt, I think, um, or definitely a slow, slowing down of yeah. the hiring process during this tumultuous period in the political um, uh, scene here. But I think, you know, in the short term anyway, we're not going to see any vast changes. Um, people aren't going to be leaving design studios are not going to be closing but you're right i mean there might be some downsizing there might be some you know changes that are going to be uh taking place um and as a result of this brexit situation yeah and i think you know we we have to be also like reflecting some of the potentially positive sides um on on this side because there's a lot of agencies in the uk of course as well yeah, and we're talking about creative agencies, of course. And for them then to trade again with Europe in particular might even become a little bit easier, you know, because, you know, we never know what's going to happen with the pound. So the pound could, of course, drop because of that. Um, and in the good kind of cases, this would then mean that it would make the, the UK as a location to, you know, to, to, to place creative projects much more attractive just because of a uh, of a of a currency exchange rate yeah um, this sounds this sounds very spec uh, you know from a speculation point of view very strange to think about it that way because of course there's completely you know a number of other effects based on that so that means just usually if the currency falls down you know the costs go a little bit higher because inflation um, you know, has, has a lot to do with that. But in general, this could increase trade with, uh, with the continent. Yeah. And this could, of course, also mean that certain, um, certain areas could grow quicker or like, you know, could, could even grow where they weren't expected to grow. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about car design when it comes to more digital content side, UX and all these things. And that could be actually very interesting. Yeah, to to see how and where this could go and in which kind of direction this could go. So you know, it's it, not everything is bad <laughs> when it uh, when it comes to um, uh, to that kind of side. But obviously, this is this is the problem is we're talking about hypotheticals at the moment. And when it comes to Brexit, I think no matter what the outcome is, I mean, the whole thing has been such a mess already. Is that the damage has already been done? I mean, you know. Uh, you mentioned Nissan earlier. You mentioned, uh, you know, we can talk about Airbus, for example, which to a certain degree is, of course, affected, with, you know, in, in, in cooperation with the car design industry now with Audi and this kind of flying car system. And they have already mentioned that they can feel an effect on the negotiations that have, have, have happened at the moment. Yeah. And I think where we will really see a, a very strong effect is, of course, on the recruitment side. Um, so to get good talent into that country, yeah, because from experience, and you mentioned this, uh, obviously from the US side, you know, giving out visas is an absolute, you know, terrible process to go through. And I think the question always asked is that, you know, is that, is that something that people are then willing to do? Um, whereas at the moment they might not be thinking about it. Yeah. And I think this is the kind of luxury that we have at the moment is we can say, Hey, I can hire someone from Germany. I can hire someone from Spain, France or wherever. And I don't have to think about these kind of things. Um, and from a, from a purely skill perspective on the company, you know, having this kind of inter, intercultural exchange obviously improves the entire company, not just in a design team, for example. And 
this this is where it's going to be interesting in all these kind of combinations is you know how how do these companies think to compensate that um and in the worst case of course it could mean that someone like nissan is moving uh you know is moving over to the continent again i mean they you know they were in munich before they went to london and you know what would happen if they come back that's the question you know if they want to have access to their talent yes no definitely i mean a lot of these companies initially set up shop here um because, um, you know, from the sales perspective, right, um, it gave them access to the free market in the in Europe, uh, allowed them to trade. But, you know, some companies opt in, like Toyota, for example, opted to set up in, in, in Belgium, in France. Uh, and also, uh, they, you know, are doing, uh, you know, they don't have to contend with this now. Um, but, uh, you know, it was just a decision that was made initially. And then, you know, obviously the design studios follow um, so I, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting times. Certainly. Um, I, I'm glad that you have a, uh, uh, a positive note to add <laughs> within that. Um, I, right now it's just, I, I have no idea what is happening, but I do know that right now it's, you know, it seems to be business as usual and there is no great urgency or, um, you know, some real issues and important, uh, issues, nothing to worry about essentially. Um, from a hiring perspective here in the UK, it's, um, you know, with, with new studios, you know, popping up a lot of development work happening. Um, you mentioned a few, uh, you know, uh, there's lots of things that are happening here in the UK and it's all super interesting. Um, you know, there is a lot of know-how in this little Island, um, a lot of manufacturing capability, a lot of, you know, um, um, just technology as well. Uh, you know, there's there's lots of uh, know-how, like I said. So it's really um, that is paramount, and that is going to really help push people through. Unless people, you know, start leaving and going elsewhere because of the reason that you cited earlier. If the pound starts to drop, and you know, it's it may not be all that entertaining to be here anymore. Or, you know, uh, uh, not entertaining, but you know. Um, fulfilling from a financial perspective but again you know that's not i don't think happening um and and it's it's hard to conceive that you know this uh this fine uh country is going to kind of become like uh you know uh, a prague or you know in east germany or something you like it's not you know we're not going to go down that far it's it'll probably take a little hit in the beginning um, you know, it's already we've seen the uh, the pound is not what it was, um, but you know, it's uh, we're still it's still strong, um, and you know, we're still got a lot of uh, things to do over here and a lot of companies to feed. So, um, and a lot of things that are happening from within the design sector in particular. So, yeah, good times. <laughs> exactly and, and no 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 i think you know this is always the point this is obviously such a um you know such a troublesome kind of topic i mean you know when i look at my facebook and i see people that go from both directions and it's like oh you know this is a great thing and this is a bad thing and you know obviously a lot of people are over exaggerating about everything that's that's going on around them um but the, the the biggest problem I you know one of the bigger problems of course is that um, the trust that all these kind of industries need from from governments from you know something like the European Union will of course you know be be really put to the test um, in that sense and we can see that with the companies as well like you know JLR is a good example they're always calculating with the worst and I think everybody involved in the car industry in particular, or like, you know, let's say the transportation design industry um, is, is, is one of, one of the most important thought leaders in that kind of regard is to say, you know, of course, this is a, a, a you know, a, a critical situation. And of course, this is a very a difficult situation, but at the same time, you know, what can we do all of us in this kind of community to, make it still worthwhile to push this kind of economy, you know, and to push what we, what we do, because, you know, the best kind of projects we talked about Aston Martin before, you know, Aston has been 
you know, near death or almost at death multiple times. But, you know, there's always, you know, there were, there was always kind of some trouble in that company, but they've always managed to do good products because the people that were working in there were pushing, you know, to deliver good products. And I think this is something that we should always remember is that if the UK leaves the European Union, of course, there will be, you know, a number of changes. There will be a number of, uh, you know, situations that might be better off or that might be worse off. But it's always the situations. What are you doing out of, you know, with that situation? What is, what is the personal kind of, you know, development, um, from, 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 from that, that you can learn from in that sense. And the same goes for the European Union. I mean, I'm pretty sure that, you know, some people will be very, very upset if they cannot be working with UK nationals anymore. Or, you know, if there, if there would be any kind of work permit issues and stuff like that. I mean, you know, we cannot just only look, look down the, the, the UK road from that. But in the end, it always comes down to what we deal with it. Yeah. Um, of course, there's a bunch of politicians involved and they are doing, no matter what kind of side you are on a miserable job, um, to deliver that, uh, in particular in the UK, I believe. And, but it always comes down to ourselves, you know, in our own efforts and stuff like that. And, you know, companies such as Aston or like, you know, JLR, of course, there will be a hit for them, you know, and of course this will hurt. And there will be some people that think they might not have, you know, they, they should have not been hit by these kind of decisions or by these kind of changes. Um, they will be very angry, but at the same time, it's, you know, we, we have to keep on going. And, um, if we can learn one thing from from design in particular you know if you do a, if you deliver a great product if you create a, pro a great product you know there will always be a reason for to survive um and you mentioned porsche you know they've they've shown that as well they went uh, you know they obviously had some issues but they they went on on to continue and i'm pretty sure that you know whatever happens with the brexit situation these companies, not, not all of them will survive, I think, in the long term, because that's just how it goes. But, you know, most of them will find their own little niches. And that, uh, that's something that the UK has always been great at is like finding your little niche. Just look into a Morgan, you know, for example, look into Aston, for example. Yeah. Look into McLaren, uh, to find your little niche to actually survive no matter what happens around you. Yeah. And, and I think this is, this is the most important thing. And this is what we want to, what, what what we want to bring across as well is that yes of course and we're not going to lie brexit will have some um some influence on day everyday life on both sides of the channels and those will be more towards a negative side rather than a positive side but it's still down to every single one within our community in our industry to to make the best out of it you know um what i've learned personally is if you complain about it and you don't do anything about it and you you deserve to go down, you know, if you do everything you can, uh, you will survive um, in most cases. So this is, you know, this is what we should take from the whole Brexit idea. And uh, ideally, let's be hopeful for everybody involved. And maybe that's a little bit of a political statement. You know, if we if we can all stick together and if we can maybe all stay within the same kind of system, you know, this podcast might have been completely useless in about like, you know, three months' time. We never know. <laughs> Is wishful thinking. <laughs> so um, anyway, okay. Well, no, I great. I, I I appreciate that. I mean, it's you know, I don't have much much more to add. I think we've said everything that we can at this point. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it is a developing you know situation, um, and uh, you know we we will keep our fingers crossed and hope for the best. Um, and you know, like you said, we'll just we'll just ride it out and uh, and do the best that we can with what we've got. And, um, you know, that said, I think that should bring us into our next phase of this podcast, um, which is what we've got to look forward to. And, uh, you know, you and I are going to be going to Shanghai in a couple weeks time. And that yes. is a very, very important uh, show because the largest car market in the world as well. And a lot of brands are over there and a lot of brands are doing some really, really cool stuff. Um, you know, I, I just recently, you know, just to kind of conclude the Brexit or the Britain aspect of this, uh, it, you know, I, I, I heard this week, uh, or was it late last week, that, um, you know, JLR finally won um, their copycat uh, kind of, you know, copyright infringement lawsuit against Landwind for their blatant plagiarization of mm -hmm. the uh, 
of the land wind, um, you know, uh, I mean, come on, land wind, like you can't even come up with an original name. Anyway, and so it's like, it was, it was crazy because that car was exactly what the Evoque was and it was running around for like half the price available in China. So there's no so great surprise that, you know, Jaguar is not doing very well or not Jaguar rather, but uh, JLR and, um, you know, we're talking Land Rover right now and the Range Rover Evoque in particular. Um, you know, if you can buy a product and you're a Chinese customer and you're like, yeah, I kind of want that, but it costs half the price it's kind of hard to uh to justify spending you know um spending the full um amount on a uh, on, on an original product um you know i mean that's goes for a lot of things louis vuitton bags for example but anyway uh, i'm i'm kind of digressing anyway i was really happy to see that jlr finally won that case um it's a shame because it might be a bit too late in terms of you know sales within uh, China because uh, Jaguar and, and Land Rover are not uh, particularly successful in that market, which is a shame. Um, and, and it's because of things like this, you know, you think, yeah, you know, copy and pasting, you know, it's not going to affect anyone. It's going to make me some money. Well, it has affected quite negatively impacted uh, JLR as a whole. But anyway, on to bigger and better things. Now, the thing, the thing that it's interesting, and this is kind of a, uh, uh, Detroit Auto Show LA scenario again. Um, so, uh, but it's not in the same country, so it's a bit different. <laughs> that being the Shanghai Auto Show, which you and I will be going to, is actually going to be held at the same time as the New York Auto Show. And if you know regular listeners will, you know people that know me will know that I'm actually originally from New York and I love the city and I remember that auto show. You know jumping in and out of cars with my, my poor dad, my, or my mom, you know, um, just like hanging around as I jumped into every single car at the show. And, um, it's a great place, a great venue. And for the last few years, Hyundai has dominated there with the Genesis brand and they're set to do it again this year. Correct. Correct. And, uh, one has to say, of course, New York is, also from like, you know, new releases and stuff like that, much smaller than almost any other show in the world. Um, this is really a lifestyle show um, in terms of car design. So that's why Genesis fits in quite nicely over there. And, uh, you know, we spoke to some high level officials uh, over the past I think, year or so. It was why they have chosen um, New York. And of course, it has to do that they're pretty much the only people. Yeah. So if you if we look actually into the Hyundai group itself, you know, there is the, the Hyundai Verve, there's a Kia concept, a concept, compact SUV that you, you, you've put onto a list, there's the Genesis one. So it's almost like, you know, uh, a car show that is made for the Hyundai group um, in that sense. Obviously, there's a few other guys in there as well, but the most important ones are coming from the Hyundai group. So they are owning that show pretty much, um, which is good and bad, I think, at the same time because, you know, um, they they have everybody there. But with Shanghai being at the same time pretty much, um, you never know if all the attention goes to that kind of show. Obviously, if they can come up with something similar as the uh, Genesis Essentia from last year, well, let, let's say then they will grab that attention, of course. Um, but if it's something going to be a bit more conventional, then it might be different. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not exactly sure what they're showing, but I think um, it would make sense for them to kind of develop something a bit more, you know, roadworthy, uh, shall we say. Uh, and, and, you know, I think yeah. for a luxury brand, um, you know, the sports car has been done now. Um, I think, you know, and, you know, sales of Genesis models, unfortunately, are not, are not off, you know, they're not going through the roof. And it's, uh, mm. but um, in order to really stay relevant in today's market, you need an SUV. And I, it wouldn't surprise me one day if we saw um, an SUV of some form hitting uh, Javits Center, uh, you know, with a Genesis, uh, Genesis badge. Um, they tried it before. They've done it before. That car was actually developed in uh, California. Um, and now we're, I think we're, we're, we're ready to see another one. Um, and, uh, you know, but you're right. I mean, there is like, uh, the, the, you know, a compact crossover called the Verve that's coming. Um, there's another compact SUV from, uh, from, from Kia as well as a concept car from Kia. 
um, which I don't really know what to expect on that front. But yeah, it, certain, it definitely seems the Koreans are going to be dominating this show this year. Um, but if we look at some of the, uh, the domestic brands, actually, um, you know, just another foreign kind of car maker that's going to be there and grabbing some headlines is if, if Subaru uh, shows off their new Outback, which they may or may not, I don't know. Um, and I don't know if it's going to be column inches worthy, but Subaru sells actually quite well, um, not, um, you know, in California and places like that, but in the, um, over the Rust Belt, um, you know, in places that you kind of need them, um, you know, so whether, where there's, uh, some, you know, really severe kind of weather and things like that. I mean, you go to Colorado, it's like every car is a Subaru. If it's a truck, it's a Subaru. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, they're, they're quite good and, 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 you know, in terms of uh, quite strong over there. But um, the domestic manufacturers, so we're going to see the new Cadillac CT5, which uh, up to now we've only actually seen pictures of, and it looks actually pretty cool. It's a new compact uh, version <laughs> of uh, – I mean, basically, it's the, it's the what was it called, the CTS and the ATS. Um, this is like a compact vehicle, uh, which is uh, going to be unveiled. It's a new model, but it's basically a successor to the smaller ATS. Mm-hmm. And it, it's probably going to be a, a coupe as well, just like the ATS was. But, you know... I mean, I, I don't, you know, I can't fault it. I mean, it's, it's softer, you know, and it's, uh, then T- Cadillac was under its quote unquote art and science design language when it first came out, but I think it's cool. It's got some interesting design elements, uh, particularly around the, uh, the C pillar kind of, uh, you know, and again, we, I've only seen pictures. I haven't seen this car in real life, but it looks cool. It's kind of like this fast, fast back thing going on. And, um, yeah, I mean, I kind of like it, you know, it's, uh, from, uh, it's for a little Cadillac, it's going to be a three series competitor. It should be quite interesting. Um, and you know, Cadillac also had their marketing offices in New York for a little while, but you know, it should, um, you know, New York is where Cadillacs are sold, even though, you know, uh, Detroit and things are trying to tell you that it's, um, it's the luxury product and Lincoln as well. Um, mm-hmm. and there are another luxury brand that's going to be making a, uh, a splash there in, um, in New York and didn't show this, uh, it's the new Corsair SUV, which is again, another midsize crossover or SUV, I should say, cause it's an MKC, I believe successor. Um, but when I, when I first heard the name, I was like, wait, hold on. Lincoln Corvair now, because the, the Corvair is a very, very different type of vehicle that some people may or may not know from the 1960s. It was a rear mounted engine. Um, anyway, it got a lot of negative press from this unsafe and any speed kind of uh, um, thing because it was it was generally well received at launch, but then it was, yeah, I mean, basically they removed the uh, the front anti sway bar and and this is a you know rear engined air cooled car that was like at the time competing with uh, with the the Volkswagen Beetle and and it had no you know, no stability and they did that for cost cutting reasons that ended up costing them a hell of a lot of money in lawsuits but eventually led to the Camaro anyway that aside um, the Chevy or <laughs> rather the Lincoln Corsair not the Corvair is a very, very different beast. <laughs> and we will be seeing that in New York. So um, that's, yeah, and that kind of sums it up for the headlines, I think, for the for, New York uh, Auto Show. For the New York Auto Show. And obviously, as you mentioned already earlier, we will be in Shanghai for the Shanghai Auto 2019. We will be doing uh, one of our lovely podcasts over there as well. And... You know, I, I think we shouldn't preview too much. Just a bunch of car, like you know, a couple of cars, something that we that we're looking forward actually to see over there. But what is always special about China or Chinese car shows? Doesn't matter if it's Shanghai or Beijing or Guangzhou or whichever. You see a lot of Chinese car manufacturers over there that we have never heard of before. And so what we what we what we will try to do, of course, is to. Um, to bring a little bit uh, light into the shadow uh, or into the shade of uh, of of this absolutely massive car market, and uh, we will do that in the podcast. Yeah, so we will uh, at the show. So we will talk about those in a little bit more detail. But I think um, 
in terms of you know interesting things that we can actually expect uh, the first one from our perspective would be to say like you know the new Jetta brand and uh, yes for all you American listeners and uh, Chinese listeners you are hearing correct the Jetta brand uh, is actually named after the Volkswagen Jetta which is in China and I think uh, Eric correct me if I'm wrong but also in the US was a, a massively influential and important car and in terms of sales numbers also very very high up and they have now decided to make this a, an own China-only brand uh, from the Volkswagen Group. So uh, this is going to be interesting to see. They had their launch already, but we haven't, you know, we've seen the cars and pictures, but we're looking forward to see them. Um, and of course, what is going to be really interesting to see, we've seen a lot of trailers on it, a lot of uh, like advertisement already on it, are the Geely cars. Yeah, so Geely is coming out with a new generation, new design language um, at the moment, and uh, we're going to be very interested to seeing those because on pictures, loads of them actually look very, very good. Um, I have to say, that's that's going to be interesting yes. to see. No, Geely, Geely's doing some some great stuff. I mean, the 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 Jetta brand is is a is a good move. Um, you know, from from the VW group uh, from a branding perspective. I mean, it's really very well known. I mean. You know, it's known as uh, basically. I think they're going to have three three cars out there, is what I've heard. So they're going to have not only the VW Sagittar that they that they have, uh, which everybody kind of knows over there, but the new Jetta brand is obviously going to bring in different models as well. And I think they've they've got quite a few models planned, but at the moment they've got two. Um, SUVs that are coming um, from Seat, and Seat does not sell in China, so it's a kind of a great way to not only make use of something that Chinese customers are already well familiar with, it's a trusted kind of workhorse, and then all of a sudden, this new brand that they know and love and you know they've grown up with um, is, is going to have a couple of, uh, of SUV cousins that elsewhere in the world are badge Seat, but over there will be called the new, uh, will be under the new Jetta moniker. So it is going to be very interesting from that perspective. But yeah, Geely is going to be showing some amazing stuff, no doubt. We have seen some pictures trickle out. Um, it's going to be uh, really cool to see what it is that they're doing. I mean, I've heard there's going to be all sorts of stuff from a, uh, a coupe to a or a, a crossover to an MPV, you know, everything, um, like a sedan to an MPV kind of thing. Um, they're going to have a whole lot of cars out there. And and, and and also, it's not just Geely, right? I mean, Lincoln Co. is actually selling quite well in China. People tell me they see them all the time over there. And um, mm -hmm. we're going to see probably some, some good stuff um, in uh, coming out of Lincoln Co. as well. And, of course, uh, you know, kind of bringing it back full circle um you know of course you know i think we should mention also you know there are automakers that again you know besides the domestic automakers that we're going to see there that are going to be unveiling some stuff um which we will share when we're there um but we know of a few things already from audi bmw buick citroen um a, a lot of cool things are going to be making their debuts over there but, um, you know, the domestic brands are good, definitely going to reign supreme, and they're going to pull out all the stops. So expect some cool stuff from SAIC and Haval and, of course, Geely and Lincoln Co., as you mentioned. But bringing it back full circle, and again, another foreign automaker, is uh, the, uh, the Cayenne will be showing the Coupe in Shanghai. Surprise, surprise. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of the market it was conceived for, in my opinion, and it will definitely sell exactly. well over there without a doubt, um, because it's more of a lifestyle, like, you know, fashion accessory than an actual SUV, um, you know, workhorse or a sports car. So Exactly. And, and obviously, we will see the very random and coming out of nowhere startup brands that will show, you know, a bunch of new cars and hoping for some more investment. So uh, Shanghai has it all, uh, including some good food, I have to say, like, you know, um, so Shanghai, Shanghai, <laughs> Shanghai is always, you know, worth the travel um, as well. So that's going to be uh, not just great in terms of the show, but also meeting a lot of people that we know and uh, if you if you are around at the show, let us know. Yeah, um, we will be we will be around. If you want to get in touch with us, as always, send us a message on 
email uh, Eric at um, on Instagram at Form Trends. Me, you can message on email as well on Instagram uh, at Concept House, and you know any any other kind of social media network, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever you can find, you can get in contact. Yeah, with we're us. on all of those. <laughs> yeah, uh, all day, every day, of course. And uh, yeah, so if, if uh, you know, we will be trying to use Instagram uh, in China as well. Um, just to kind of a little bit of a disclaimer up front. Of course, with uh, the the troubles of Google in China, we are currently trying to figure something out in terms of how we can live stream the podcast so uh, you know stay tuned on our instagram accounts and all these things to to find out how we will actually stream the podcast live from the show we have not made a final decision yet but we will announce it as soon as we can as soon as we know what is uh, technically possible if not we will of course record it almost then you know upload it immediately for you guys to listen but at the moment we unfortunately cannot yet promise a video live version or you know definitely we can promise a, a recorded version on video but we cannot promise yet a, a video live version because of um you know google google tools being banned in china um i'm not quite sure if if the vpn is strong enough to actually allow us to live stream so uh, we will see how we can do that and what we can do but we will keep you posted um as we are very much looking forward to shanghai it's going to be good fun yes yes if i can get my visa sorted in time i'm looking forward to welcoming <laughs> some people over no but um yeah i mean it's it's funny how you don't really think about it but everything is banned so facebook is banned as well so facebook instagram being part of facebook is also banned fortunately we already have it on our phones so it should work a treat um but uh yeah accessing um, anything from China without a VPN that you're used to over here in the Western world is uh, is quite difficult. So anyway, we will do our best to um, share um, a way of uh, communicating. So, um, you know, just try to stay up to date. And yeah, like Martin said, if you want to get in touch, we're on various social media channels. We're all over, spread thick and thin all over the interwebs. Um, so try to find us, send us a message, let us know if you're around. And um, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get in touch. Hopefully we'll see a bunch of people over there. I'm already planning on seeing a whole lot of people that I know that are living over there at the moment. Um, so if you're one of those people and you want to say hello, ping us a line um, or get in touch on one of these social channels and we will see you there. We will see you there. And until then, enjoy, you know, uh, well, uh, we hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast, of course. Um, if you have any more questions, get in contact with us as always. And we will hear you uh, very soon from the Shanghai Motor Show. And also we will release a special episode before the Shanghai Motor Show. So I'm not going to say too much about it. It's going to be pretty cool. Um, I had a good fun talking to that person. So enjoy that. Teaser, teaser. Teaser, teaser yeah. So enjoy that. And uh, yeah, we will. you will hear us. And uh, hopefully you will listen to us next time when we're live from Shanghai. All right, guys. Have a good one. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.